Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing. I'm going to cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. It is Tuesday afternoon, which means we are basically 48 hours away, give or take, from the NFL owners officially voting on Josh Harris purchasing the Washington Commanders from Dan Snyder. Uh, this is not a drill anymore. This is really happening. Uh, they're moving forward with this. So, you know, barring the unforeseen, which can never be ignored here with dealing with Dan Snyder, but barring the unforeseen, Dan Snyder will soon no longer be the owner of the Commanders, and Josh Harris will be coming in. Whichever side of that equation you find more interesting or important, that's fine. But either way, it's going to all be the same. Um, we've got we're going to discuss a little bit of that here. I just spoke with our pal Al Galdi from the Al Galdi podcast just about that. Is his, that this really is happening? That that really is going to be a change in ownership here what does that mean um what are what what are we feeling what are people feeling and what's now going to happen going forward with josh harris we'll get to that in addition uh my colleague at the athletic randy mueller former nfl general manager he joined me the other day to discuss okay new owner coming in now what what are the things that a new owner needs to consider to look at if he was consulting Josh Harris. Like, I think we're all assuming at some point Josh Harris will bring in some consultants on the business side, but also on the football side. What would that, what would he, if, if Randy was in that spot, what would he be looking at in terms of evaluating the staff, the roster, and other components as well? Uh, so we'll get to all of that here on the Standard Room Only podcast, which of course you can find on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you do your podcasting. If you missed it earlier this week, I dropped one where I spoke with uh, my colleagues on the beat, Matt Paris and Nikki Javala, uh, just to kind of touch base on a few various commanders topics, including Ron Rivera has said that the team is on hold from a money perspective until the ownership goes down. Once that goes down, and I guess, you know, once Josh Harris talks to Ron and all that, how aggressive should they be with getting some extensions here on various players, Cam Curl, Montez Sweat, among others, going into the last year of their deal? Or does Josh Harris perhaps want to hold some of that money because they the commanders have a ton of cap space? Um, Al and I get into that part of it as well. So uh, make sure you check that out. On the written side of things, I've had a bunch of stories up over the last few days. I wrapped up the all Snyder teams, the good and the bad teams uh you can check that out on the athletic you know the the, the good team look i'm you know despite all the the bad times here you know it's been fun obviously to watch various players you know whatever it's terry mclaurin on, on among the current guys uh you know other players through the years the, the 2012 season with rg3 of course the late sean taylor ryan kerrigan and others but the negative list is, it's not more fun, but it's more representative of what we've gone through for the last 24 years, uh, paying attention to covering, rooting for the team, just the unbelievable mistakes, gaffes, illogical thinking that, that took place. And so it was not 
I wouldn't say it was fun to write that story, but that's the story that, you know, it just, like I said, it, it was a way to reflect on the last so many years under Snyder. And uh, to that extent, uh, it was cathartic to a little bit, but also I think important because, you know, looking back, you don't want to dwell on the past, but you need to learn from it. And at least, you know, Josh Harris is not stuck with the past, but for the rest of us, We've seen how it can go wrong. And it was a lot of promise, of course, with Dan Snyder in the beginning and various points along the way, various iterations. Oh, spending money on these free agents. That's going to be fun. Drafting this guy. That's going to work. And then you see it not work and you ask, why doesn't it work? Well, that's important to understand why, because now moving forward, you have a feel for, okay, here's here's the things I need to pay attention to as a fan. How much, you know, it's, the owner's got to have to set the tone on a variety of ways of both like from a culture perspective and also like what, you know, what are, how do they want to build the team? But then you've got to, you know, how much do they let their football people do that and not be completely involved to, so we'll see how all that goes. But in any way, if you haven't checked out those stories, go do that. And let me know what you think. Uh, you can of course hit me up on Twitter at Ben standing story up today, meaning Tuesday uh, was, it was a really interesting one for me. And that was, with Josh Harris coming in, he obviously famously was uh, approved for the Sixers to have the process, which got a lot of it, it's a very you know one of the most polarizing roster building situations ever. Um, and, and Al and I talked about this as well. Um, the highlight of it for a lot of people is the fact that it just was a lot of losing. And in the NBA, that makes more sense because in that league, it's not about the number of picks you have. It's about the premium picks that you can get. Obviously, right? The San Antonio Spurs just got Victor Wembanyama, and it, their entire future is changed because they have this guy who is viewed as the best prospect since LeBron James. And it isn't just that level. It's all, all talented players that come through. Um, through You've got to – typically, it's easier to get – the first pick, second, top five pick, top 10 pick, what what have you. The NFL is more of a volume play, but there is still some of the same principles involved. And, you know, the Cleveland Browns tried a version of this a few years ago. Will Josh Harris ultimately decide he wants to go down this route? Again, don't, don't think of it from the losing perspective. Think of it from the asset gathering perspective and the, and the use of analytics. So... I, there was a fun article to write. I spoke to a bunch of people. I spoke to multiple owners uh, around the league about what they learn uh, as new time owners that maybe Josh Harris is going to have to consider. Spoke to uh, Rams uh, GM Les Snead, who, of course, went the complete opposite of the process. He went all in uh, with the with the FM picks group. So a lot of different voices and look at what Josh Harris has done and what he might do here going forward. So check that out on The Athletic for sure. All right. Um, this is going to be a, a pack your lunch episode between Al and Randy. So I don't want to hold up anything anymore other than to say I will be going to Minnesota for Thursday's vote. Uh, we think if all goes well that we will hear for the first time from Josh Harris uh, after that vote, presumably uh, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell as well so we'll start there and then friday there are some expectations that there could be a press conference uh involving harris as well so we'll see how that goes uh for sure but 
point is we'll we'll, we'll have more coverage of course coming up on all that and then hey it's we're, we're almost here to training camp the rookies are in fact they're reporting on friday the team is will we'll open practice on the 26th so we're almost here uh and that's frightening for those of us who would still like some vacation time but it's exciting for a new chapter and uh you know, Sam Howell, Eric Bieniemy, the return of Chase Young, Ron Rivera's fourth year, lots to get into for this team. We'll continue to do that here on the podcast. But for now, let's get to it. We'll start with Al Galdi discussing uh, the sale, discussing people's emotions, what's next. And then Randy Mueller and I into what a new owner coming in should be looking at as he's trying to assess the team that he just purchased. Let's do that right now here on the Standard Groom Only Podcast. All right, seeing as how we are now just a couple of days, we believe, from the uh, NFL owners voting on whether Josh Harris can buy the Washington Commanders, and we think that's going to happen, I wanted to discuss it, like not just like the practical aspect, what's it going to take for the sale to get done, but the you know, emotional aspect. Hey, this is actually happening. So nobody better than to, to bring in our guy who's the man of the people, the host of the Al Galdi podcast, Mr. Al Galdi. Uh, wow. I mean, it's, I, we were just discussing before we came on here that like, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm still not like completely processing that this is actually going to happen that, that, you know, if, if all goes well on Thursday in Minnesota, I'll be talking to Josh Harris after the NFL owners have approved the sale. And it's not just him buying the team. Of course, it's who's leaving. And it really is still kind of hard to fathom that this is all happening. It is. And, you know, on the one hand, it's like this process of the sale has been exhausting, I think, for everybody because there have been so many twists and turns and, you know, conflicting reports and things of that nature. And of course, you know, Dan has been the owner for 24 plus years and that in and of itself has been exhausting. But, you know, I keep coming back to this. It was just nine months ago that the notion of Dan selling the team was like this pie in the sky dream that would get you laughed out of a room because it had been said for years that like this guy will never voluntarily sell the team. And so I think when you look at what's happening through that prism, I know as a fan of the team, I'm like thankful for this, that that everything has changed like this. I mean, November 2nd, 2022 goes down as an all-time day. You know, when that announcement came out that they're exploring potential transactions and we knew that the team was for sale, that changed everything. And nobody saw that coming. And so I think in that regard, I'm still kind of like, wow, we really are here. This ended up happening. The thing that we all thought would never happen is happening, him selling the team. and. Uh, I find that to be remarkable, man. Uh, it's it's incredible. I mean, I remember when they were playing the Bears, what was that, week six, I want to say, in, in Chicago on a Thursday. And, you know, I'm in a hotel room, and all of a sudden, this ESPN report comes out. No, wait, was that the ESPN report? Yeah, yeah, yeah that was that morning. Right, right. But when, wait, what, but I'm thinking, I guess, yeah, so... So was that, but when, when did Ursay first make the comments? Oh, that at, was at the fall league meeting. Yeah. Okay. So whenever, so yeah, so you had the ESPN report, then Ursay makes his comments and the Snyders, you know, put out some statements saying, you know, basically how dare Jim Ursay say anything and, you know, pretty, another pretty defiant retort from them. Okay. Blah, blah, blah. But it was like soon thereafter that 
like you said, November 2nd came around and it was like, oh, wait, really? Like, I remember physically where I was. I was driving to Ashburn and I was on 495 getting close to the Dulles toll road. And it's really nowhere to pull off when that happens. And this news and, you, and, you, and this news comes, you're like, what? Well, I, I mean, like, I wasn't nervous that I was going to drive my car into a into the barrier on the highway but like part of me was kind of like oh you gotta focus here like this is such seismic news <laughs> you can't just like flippantly pay attention i but i'm with you i mean it really it felt like we were heading towards the direction of unless congress or the or mary joe white or somebody has something so significant we're never gonna still get rid of the guy he's still gonna be here because there was no sense he was actually going to sell yeah and the news came at a time when i i think for a lot of us, the congressional stuff, it, it kind of had run its course to where, okay, a lot of bluster, a lot of pomp and circumstance, but like, where were the teeth? You know what I mean? Like, I, I think we all came to recognize there's only so much that Congress can do here, you know? So Congress can make a big show of this and really shine a spotlight on this, but Congress isn't going to force Dan to sell the team. Although, of course, looking back on it, the congressional investigation certainly was a part of what led us to Dan selling the team. But yeah, like this was something that came out of nowhere. And, you know, of course, now we have come to know, well, no, there were things going on behind the scenes. And, you know, I think pretty clearly the other NFL owners souring on Dan is why he ends up selling the team that, you know, to, to me, these owners, it's like a mafia. And when you're in, you're in. But when you're no longer a made guy, you're out. And that's it. And Dan's out. You know, the, the owners turned on him and they they have reasons for having turned on him. But that's it. That's what ultimately uh, made him done. So it, it, it's remarkable. Um, I, I don't know. You know, it, it's it's been tricky because there have been multiple sort of milestone days in all of this, right? Like it started right. with November 2nd. And then, you know, along the way, we've had, well, they've agreed on a deal, Snyder and Josh Harris. And, you know, then we had, well, now the deal has been actually submitted and, and it formally announced. And, you know, then the other day we got, well, now the finance committee has approved it. So, I, you know, I guess in that regard, Thursday is kind of like, well, we've kind of danced this dance several times already of like celebrating the sale. But, you know, that's how it is. I mean, it's not as simple as one day you wake up and it's all done. Like this is a, a multi-step process, uh, but it's glorious. I, I don't think you can overstate how significant this is. I think especially if you're someone who's old enough to remember the glory days, I think it's really special because, you know, with Dan Snyder, it's not just the bad product on the field it's not just the controversy off the field it's what the team was you know this extreme high of a franchise and so to go from that to what it has become um you know it's it, it's it's amazing to, uh, to sort of examine all of this in its scope uh what happened to the team and now you know your your mind can kind of run wild with what could happen with the team a hundred percent, you know, you, 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 you point out like, it's not just what they became, it's what they were and how that's, they're so far removed uh, for the story that I have up today on Tuesday about Josh Harris and what he might do. We don't think of this organization as being on the football sense, being in the middle. Cause we just, it, so much is the negative of Dan Snyder that it all seems like it's a constant two win season. The reality is they've been stuck in the middle for some time, but more than that, they've been nowhere near the top because the last time they had an 11 game winning season was the last year they won the Super Bowl. And every other team in the league at some point has had an 11 game, uh, 11 win season. And 
you don't appreciate like that they are so far removed from contending. I've seen people say, you know, the Josh Harris and the process and whatever was a failure, this, that, and the other. I'm like, are you on, are you on crack? They have been contending for the last five or six years. Only one team's going to win. Obviously, they haven't advanced as far as they would have liked in the playoffs, blah, blah, blah. But like, say, like if you're like a Washington Capitals fan, right? It's basically the same thing, except at one point over the last 18 years or whatever it's been with Ovechkin, they finally broke through. Other than that, they've contended every year. That that think about that for what for the commanders. One year, one year where if you could say, hey, you know what, they look pretty legit, they could be, maybe actually make the Super Bowl. That hasn't been an in consideration in any real way for this entire time. And that is so tragic, especially like you said, for what it was before, uh, let alone if you're a y- younger person, you've never you've never experienced that kind of success. Yeah, and I think what is really encouraging about Josh Harris is that he's done the sports owner thing twice already. So you're not getting a newbie. You're not getting someone who's, you know, a greenhorn and doesn't know what the heck he's doing. Now, it's not to say that he's perfect, but, you know, I think one of the real things that everyone underestimated with Dan Snyder when he bought the team in 1999 is that he didn't know what he was doing. And it's not so simple as you buy a team and, okay, he'll be fine. I mean, he made a bunch of money, so how bad could he be as an owner? Like, no, actually, he could be really bad. This guy's done it, so presumably he's learned from his mistakes, and he has a body of work as a sports owner that he can point to of having turned around two franchises in two different sports. Now, the Devils' turnaround took a lot longer than I think most Devils fans would have wanted, but the turnaround has happened. I mean, the Devils, for those who don't follow the NHL, are one of the bright, young, up-and-coming, exciting teams in the league. And to your point about the Sixers, you know, this is a separate conversation. I find it really interesting how... Uh, willing some people are to bash the Sixers and bash the process. I think you have a lot of people out there, especially in sports media, you know, they don't like analytics. They, they don't necessarily maybe get what the whole movement is about. And so they love to just smash the Sixers for the process and say, well, the process hasn't worked. When, of course, I think those people who understand this, which is most people listening to your show, and I know that you do, the process did work, okay? Like the job of the front office is to have good regular seasons and position the team to have good postseasons. Once you get into postseasons, man, it's like a crapshoot. You don't know what's going to happen. You know, you don't really build a team for the playoffs. You build a team to get into the playoffs, and then you kind of hope for the best. You know, you hope the breaks go your way. You hope your coaching is on point. You hope your best players do as they're supposed to do. If you look at the Sixers' last six regular seasons, I know, you know, you and I as lifelong Bullets-slash-Wizards fans, would like cut off our left legs for the Bullets slash Wizards to have a six season run like the Sixers are having right now. Okay. So like, I, I and not that the Wizards are like the gold standard by which you should judge every other NBA team, but like, I think that puts it into perspective. It's worked what Harris has done with the Sixers. And, you know, to what you wrote about the process and the potential for that with the commanders, I do think that is a fascinating thing to think about. I mean, hopefully this coming season is at least an 11 win regular season for our football team. But if that doesn't happen and if things do uh, get off track here with this team this year and things get blown up, you know, personally, I mean, I, I love the analytic stuff. So I would be all in on something like a process type approach to the commanders. But you know, just knowing that, like, you have an owner who understands this and has done this, I think is exciting and, and obviously could be a real asset to this team. A hundred percent. And, you know, that's why for me, I'm always a 
I'm not saying this as a pun. I'm always a, a process person more than a results person because the result, so many variables can go into play. For example, just to go back to the Sixers, famously, Kawhi Leonard hits that shot that bounces 17 times on the rim before falling in at the buzzer to win a series and go advance to the uh, conference finals, and then they would go on to win the finals. If that shot misses, which it would 97% of the time, hitting the rim that many times, the Sixers advance, and we're not having the same conversation about that they haven't gotten past a certain point. That's, you know, go think of the NFL, you know, David Tyree's catch. He doesn't make that catch. The Patriots are the second team to be undefeated in, a, in an NFL season, but that's how it goes, and that's why, like, to me, and that's just even, like, the extreme sort of extent. There's the injuries that happen. There's, you know, you don't know how human beings are going to react, develop, whatever. There's only so much you can do. Can you put yourself in position? And they've done that. And more specifically, the t- franchise here that we all talk about hasn't come close to doing that. And that's why, um, you know, it, it's going to be very interesting to see what what Josh Harris uh, does. Um, but, but just to sort of go back, I guess, like, you know, I I don't even I don't even know. Like, I know a lot of my friends and family who grew up paying attention to this team. And then in the last few years, tell me all the time, I don't even read your articles because I can't read anything about this team anymore. I'm like, thanks. Uh, you know, there's starting to be some more interest. I mean, people are starting to ask me, you know, just generally more questions about the new guy. And we really think, you know, I had somebody yesterday, a friend of mine texted me and goes, I still don't believe Snyder's out of here. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> well, look, I'm not, I'm not telling you what to I'm just saying, I, you know, have some faith at this point. And I get though why people are going to be so sketchy and nervous and 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 unsure, and it's going to be like watching them come out from the shadows to get back into into to rooting for this team or or, or caring. What what's your sense? Uh, you know, you, you talk to people, fans hit you up all the time. What what's your view of like where how this is going to go for people who've been kind of away from the team for a while? How do you think it's going to go? Well, I do think this, if the team wins, the people will come back. Not everyone, but I think a sizable number of people will come. And I'm including in that mix people who swear that they won't come back. I think many times in life, we're certain that we'll never do something or at least never do something again. And then we end up surprising ourselves in doing that thing again. You know, uh, when, you, when, when you're hungover, you're saying, I'm never going to drink again. No, really, I'm never going to drink again. And what's happening 48 hours later, okay? So like, that's kind of how we are as human beings. We think that we know what we're never going to do again. And then we end up actually doing uh, that thing again. And so I think if the team wins, it's going to be really hard for people to resist getting on board with the football team of Washington, D.C. doing well. Because here's what I think is always important to remember about this decline of the franchise over the last 24 plus years with Dan Snyder as owner. It has coincided with this incredible rise in popularity of the NFL. So, you know, it's a different sports world now as compared in 1999 in that the NFL now is a bigger deal than it was in 1999. And the gap between the NFL and whatever you have as the number two sport in this country is as big as that gap has ever been. And so even with Washington having had all of these problems for two and a half decades, to me, the rise of the NFL it's almost like this, you know, this tide that has lifted all boats. And so even Washington, with all of its problems, it's still an NFL team. And so are you telling me in 2023, if the football team, the NFL team of Washington, D.C. does well, 
that that's not going to be enough for people to get in on that. I'm sorry. I think people will be in on that. Now, you're not going to get back everyone. And I know for a lot of people, the name change was like the ultimate deal breaker. And, you know, assuming that the name stays commanders, you know, I mean, certainly no one is anticipating the name going back to Redskins. That's a different conversation. But yeah, there will be some people who don't come back. But I think by and large, people will be into this. Uh, but the team has to win. I mean, I think we all know that. Like, if the team continues to be mediocre or bad, then none of this stuff is going to matter. It's not going to matter who the owner is, where you put the stadium. The team has to win, and, and that needs to be figured out. But if the team wins, I have a hard time thinking that people won't be back. There's another thing, too, and, and I've always suspected this. So when people talk about, like, the erosion of the fan base, that's a real thing. I'm not saying that it isn't. But I think there's a difference between people not uh, caring about the team versus people not investing their money in the team. Like, right. you may not be buying tickets to the team anymore, but are you still paying attention to the team? Because my sense is there still are a lot of people paying attention to the team, listening to shows about the team, reading about the team, but not necessarily spending disposable income on the team. That's different than I don't follow the team. I don't care about the team. You know, I'm watching Hulu on Sunday afternoons. Like, that's different. I, I think there are a lot of people who still follow the team and just what has evaporated is their willingness to like spend money on the team. But we'll see. I mean, I think the Orioles are a good example of this, right? Because they've had their own version of Snyder for a while with, with the Angelos family, and they've been a miserable team for a long time. Now, it's in slightly different circumstances. They just sort of stopped spending money and blah, blah, blah. But now, after a few years of rebuilding and getting a lot of prospects, these prospects are coming up. They're winning a lot of games. And 30,000 people are showing up for games where before you could like almost count how many people are coming. And uh, you're right. I mean, I think that's, you know, uh, I think that's a, an example of, you know, there's a difference between completely abandoning the team and just saying, I can't emotionally or financially invest anything into this right now because it's just something I do not remotely um, believe in. Um, I we're going to spin this forward in a second, but before I let you go to talk about a couple things, but just to sort of put a bow on the on the Snyder stuff, uh, I did a, a couple stories over the last few days, like the all Snyder teams, the good team and the bad team. The bad team is more fun to discuss if it's not fun in the moment, but it's more fun to discuss. What for you was the, you know, from a, a coaching hire, a, a signing, somebody who was a boss, a draft pick, whatever. What's the thing that you're going to like look back and you're going to kind of remember this was sort of for me the epitome of what the hell was going on over here uh, at, at any point during the Dan Snyder era? Well, of course, there are so many things, but <laughs> so many, you know, I, I think the Albert Hainsworth uh, debacle really stands out because what it ultimately was about was the team just throwing a ton of money at a guy. Uh, on whom, if you had just done a decent amount of due diligence, you would have known was not someone on whom you should be thrusting a ton of money. And the team didn't do that. He was a big name. The team gave him a bunch of money. There wasn't a lot of thought put into how are we going to use him? How does he fit into our scheme and our culture? It was a problem from the get-go where this guy was playing, how he was playing. And of course, it ended up being one of the biggest free agent fails in NFL history. So, you know, I think that stands out. But of course, the, the point of the exercise would be there are so many options from which to choose. Like, and I don't think you're wrong with going with like any of a number of other things. I mean, I also still come back to what happened 2012 into 2013 and how 
in 2012, we thought that things were finally getting better with the great rookie quarterback and the great rookie running back and the surge to go from three and six to 10 and six and the unforgettable win uh, the night before New Year's Eve to win the NFC East against the arch rival on national television. You know, you had a head coach and Mike Shanahan who was proven with Denver and you felt like, okay, finally what he's doing here is taking form. And then it all fell apart the next year. I mean, I think of all the bad seasons under Dan, 2013 was the worst. That that was such a bad season in so many ways. That left such a bad taste, uh, I know, in my mouth and in so many others' mouths. And it, it just, it really felt like, my God, I mean, is anything ever going to be good here with this owner? Especially the more and more we found out about what happened behind the scenes with Dan and Robert and Mike and Kyle. So I'd say Hainsworth as like the singular transaction and 2013 as the season, <laughs> that season, man, was a nightmare. Remember, too, the team lost out that season. The team won out to finish the 2012 regular season. The team lost out. I think it was, a, if I remember correctly, a seven-game losing streak to close out the 2013 uh, regular season. Just a, just a nightmare of a year. Yeah, 100%. And, and there was, you know, between the all-in for week one uh, campaign that he was for, was that Adidas? Uh whatever product it was that that rg3 was promoting and it was like wait the promotion is dictating when he's coming back off this injury <laughs> that's not great and then the wedding presents thing where, where he was getting married and fans sent him presents and he took this picture like in front of it and i don't know for some reason it really struck me as odd and weird and for me that was like the point i was going wait what is going on here with this and then like you said yeah it just went so unbelievably south so quickly and never uh never recovered um yeah too many things to, to look back on so to look forward i guess i think one thing that's super interesting about this situation get, there's a season to be played here okay no i'm not suggesting they should stink or lose or tank or, or whatever we'll see what happens there, there's you know there's talent on this team as we know but if you're josh harris you got to be kind of excited about the options for him because and i wrote it this is part of what i wrote about today in the story is that right now they have the fifth most cap space in the next year of over 80 million dollars they have a quarterback that obviously people are going to hope is sam howell turns into the real thing but if he doesn't he's not on a quarterback contract that's going to be it's not an issue he's just cut him if you want i mean there's no there's nothing there and the head coach will be going into the last year of his deal so presumably you can kind of move on from him fairly quickly that's a pretty clean slate I mean, in the in the quote unquote only way it's really not a clean slate is if they basically do well this year, <laughs> and then you decide, oh, Sam Howell's our guy, and Rivera, we want to keep him, and all that. So, like for Josh Harris, this is a all things considered a pretty good scenario that he's coming into here. Other than as we discussed, like things like the fan base and, and you know with the stadium and all that stuff, but in terms of the football, it's not a bad spot for him to come in, and I think that's going to be exciting to discuss over the next few months again people are hoping they win this year i get that but i mean he's not going to be stuck with having to go in any direction if he doesn't want to most likely yeah very much so by the way just look it up eight game losing streak to close out that 2013 season so 2012 they went from three and six to ten and six 2013 went from three and five to three and thirteen so yeah uh no doubt what you just said is a hundred percent true and i i think that's good uh because you know, going back to like the whole thing about the process and a total teardown, 
it's easier to do that in the NBA when you're talking about teams that are, you know, not filled with 53 man active rosters. Like NFL teams have so many players and so many moving parts to where when you take over a team, you're not just taking over a blank slate. Like you're inheriting an existing circumstance. And so you have to sort of work through, well, who's here, who's good, who isn't, who's under contract, who isn't. It's a lot easier to do that in the NBA with so few players. NFL is different. Well, in this uh, circumstance, you could argue this is maybe about as close to a blank slate as you could have for the reasons that you just outlined. And, you know, I also would say two other things. So there is talent on Washington. I mean, I think we've all kind of felt this for a while now. You know, Ron Rivera and the two Martys, they haven't done a stellar job, but I don't think they've done like some trash job either. Like there is talent on this team. You know, I, I felt for a few years now that Washington is sort of a middle of the pack NFL team in terms of roster talent. Like it's not really good, but it's also not really bad. Like you can work with some pieces here, especially on defense. So, you know, it, it may be that, OK, maybe the team doesn't do well this season and you fire the coach, but you still could have some things to work with to where maybe you're good again sooner rather than later. And that's the other thing about rebuilding. Like when you tank in MLB or the NBA or the NHL, there are so many games in a season like you're going to be bad. In the NFL, the season is this small sample size of 17 regular season games. You don't have to be great to do great. You know, you can be kind of mid and do really well. You can be bad and do all right. I mean, a 17 game season can be dictated by just, you know, injury luck and, you know, fumble luck and a few bounces of the ball going your way. You know, a, a field goal attempt uh, bouncing off the crossbar, things like that. So, you know, you could be bad, quote unquote, but still have a pretty good season. Like the New York Giants last season are like a prime example of this new regime. And yet that ended up being a playoff team. Was that a really good team? I don't think so. But the team had a really good season. So, you know, I think that's something to keep in mind, too. And, you know, as far as this season goes, I always come back to this. And I know what's happened in the past doesn't necessarily mean anything for the present. But every single playoff season under Dan Snyder followed a double digit loss regular season. Every playoff season under Dan Snyder essentially was a surprise playoff season. Now, the commanders are not coming off a double digit loss season, but they are coming off a season that I think for a lot of people felt like a double digit loss season. That was an eight, eight and one season that did not end well, did not feel well for a lot of people, for a lot of valid reasons. And so, so many times with our team, it's been when you expect the least, the team does the most and vice versa. When you expect the most, the team does the least. So I don't know if that means anything. But, you know, the last time we had a late offseason ownership change, the team won the NFC East for that 1999 season. So right. who the heck knows? I mean, we know how the NFL is. We know how the NFC East is, right? The same team hasn't won the division of back-to-back years since the Eagles 01 through 04. So I don't know. Is it crazy to say that the Commanders could have a really good season this coming season? On paper, yes. And so for that very reason, I almost feel like it's something – that you should consider to be in play. Like, who knows? The NFL is like this, as we all know. And the players, even though they'll say over and over again they don't pay attention to what's going on outside the locker room per se, they they know they 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 pay attention enough to know that like people are constantly saying to them, dude, why do you why why is your owner trash? Why do you guys think like to get rid of that could absolutely give them some win behind their uh their sales, so to speak. And uh we will see. Um, all right. Uh, Al Galdi is the man. L- listen to him, of course, on the Al Galdi podcast. Follow him on Twitter at Al Galdi. He's also the co-host of the Nats chat podcast talking about 
long seasons, but at least there they they, <laughs> they started. Uh, you know, they, they they got the young kids going, and that's what you want to see. If you're not going to contend, don't be stuck in the middle. Go go down and uh, start to start to retool. You got a got a a young uh, LSU uh, player coming in, so you know things to discuss for sure. Um, my guy, I really appreciate it. Uh, good luck. Uh, uh, navigating these this new terrain here. We will all do uh, what we can, but thank you very much for having me. Always appreciate it. Yeah, man. All right. It's one thing for all of us to pontificate about what we think uh, the Washington commander should do or what Josh Harris may be, should be thinking about when he takes over uh, soon. We'll leave it at soon for the moment. Um, but let's ask somebody who's actually had to do these things, who's actually run organizations, he's run front offices, and he's doing it right now as the uh, director of pro personnel for the uh, – Seattle Sea Dragons of the XFL, along with his duties at the Athletic. Randy Mueller is back. Randy, thanks for the time. How are you? I'm doing great. Good to be back with you. Yeah, it's uh, ownership changes are are uh, unique, that's for sure. And I've been part of a couple in the NFL, and I guess some some of it's good, some of it's bad. I do know this that change is good for the most part. It makes you refocus as an employee. If you're running one of these teams, you definitely have to have your ducks lined up. So I think it's good from that standpoint. So I bet you there's a lot of people apprehensive somewhat uh, with the commanders, but at the same time, welcoming to prove their, prove their own worth, you know, within an organization. Yeah, no, no doubt. You really have to. And I think any of us who've gone through ownership change, I mean, we just did at the athletic, Within the last year or so, the New York Times takes over, and your and your thought is, "Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, what what are they what are they looking for um, from us?" And uh, yeah, and recess, like, wait, what am I doing enough? Totally get that. Um, so I wanted you to come on to, to help give some insight as to what may be going on over there, or what Josh Harris may be looking at when he takes over. What are some of the things he should be looking at? Um, but you mentioned you've gone through ownership changes as well. What did you kind of what what, what were what were those changes? For, for you and and how would you describe that transition? Well, I always have thought that a change at the top is a good opportunity for many of us, right? It's an idea that sounds scary to start with, that we're all going to get new bosses. But at the same time, again, it allows people to not only examine their own processes and their own systems, but actually prove that it works. And I think what you'll see with the commanders when, when a new owner takes over is he's going to they are going to, he's going to have a team of people that are going to force everybody to examine everything they do. And, and rightly so, they're going to want to dive deep into how do we make decisions? How do we build things out on the football side? How does the communication work? How does it work? Uh, how do we, you know, uh, come up with our list of preferred players and how do we fit players into the schemes we have? So I would think he'll have somebody on the football side that he uses as his sounding board, whether that's Ron, whether that's uh, Marty, whether it's, you know, it could be one of many or he'll have his own person, but there'll be somebody that has the owner's ear and there always is. Um, then it's just a matter of of trust and and making that uh, that individual feel, feel comfortable enough to where he brings the owner information, good, bad, indifferent. And then the owner, it's his game. He gets to decide what's what's the right angle to take, what's the right process to implement. Let's face it, the, the Washington football team has not been good for quite a while. And I do think the league is good and better when they are, because they are a flagship organization, um, well thought of, well well positioned to, to be a leader in the NFL. And it just hasn't been that case the last few years, especially 
but I think Ron did a little bit toward uh, rectifying that since he's been there as the head coach and really he's more than the head coach, right? He's, he's technically the head football czar per se, which puts a lot of pressure on him. I don't know that there's enough hours in the day. I always used to equate it to when I was the GM, if someone said, can you, by the way, be the head coach too? I'd say, yeah, probably not going to be enough time for that. <laughs> and it's really no different when you ask a head coach to be, you know, the czar of all the football decisions, regardless of titles. Um, it makes it hard. So we'll see how it shakes out. A lot, lot of different ways to run organizations now. It'll be, in, it'll be interesting to see um, how ownership kind of structures the organization, because let's face it, coaches aren't in charge per se at a lot of NFL franchises. They have people that do that and the coach coaches and it's more compartmentalized, so to speak. Yeah, for sure. I'm, but I want to, before we get dive into the commander specifically and what Josh Harris might be looking at there, I'm not sure when you were with the Saints or the Dolphins as as a GM, um, I don't remember off the top of my head who the ownership was and whether they had prior, had owned prior franchises. But one thing that's interesting about Josh Harris is he is not new at this in terms of uh, owning a sports team. He's currently has the NBA's Philadelphia 76ers, the NHL's New Jersey Devils. He's been a minority partner with the Steelers. He's got some other interests as well. So he's not coming into this going, well, I don't, you know, I just bought the team, but now, now what do I do? He's done this before. And I think clearly on the business side, that's going to be even probably more applicable. He's going to have people who he knows and trusts for marketing and, you know, how to generate revenue and things like that. But on the football side, um, how, how much do you think that, I don't know, changes the dynamic, having a coach, having an owner, I should say, who has done this before and what that might mean to the, to the evaluation process. Well, it depends on how hands-on he will be. I was in a very similar uh, situation, Ben, in Seattle when I was in charge there and Paul Allen came in and bought the team from Ken Berry. Paul Allen owned the Portland Trailblazers at that time as well. And he had his guy who was a basketball guy at the time, Bob Witsit, kind of oversee the football part as well. You might see a, a similar type setup in that if, if he is comfortable with somebody at the Sixers, he might bring them with him to kind of help him gather the information on the football side. So I think all, you know, all things are in play for sure. I think the comfort level that a new owner has to find is dependent on the people that are around him and who has his ears. So um, I know Paul Allen wasn't necessarily a hands-on day-to-day guy, but he had at that point the president of the Blazers, Bob Witsit, in his pocket, and he was there every day. And so between he and I, we started a dialogue. It gave, I think, some comfort to Paul that we did know what we were doing. And he, you know, kind of promoted me from within and, and I got an opportunity. So I'll be grateful for that uh, for a long time. But it just depends on what he's comfort, what the new owner is comfortable with as far as gathering the communication and, and the information and how that's done best for him or the, her. Right. The fact that, so as I'm sure you've heard, and I know our listeners have heard as well, he's heard me talk about it. The NFL owners have been told, be prepared on July 20th for a special meeting in which, if there's no more hiccups, they will likely be voting on the sale of the commanders. Now, training camp starts for this team July 25th, 26th. So if they're assuming that the owners approve it, Josh and Josh Harris, they give it, he give him, gets the keys to the whole thing in the next few days he will literally be taking over right at the start of training camp what do you think that means for any kind of thought because it's all you're already 
you're already there. And the NFL, I always equate it to a luxury liner that you really just can't turn on a dime versus NBA, NHL, and even MLB. Like coaches can kind of go willy nilly. As we see, you can't turn around an NFL franchise that in that short amount of time, I wouldn't think. Well, the course for 2023 is set. You, you make up a great point. That ship is rolling, and whether he takes control now or a month from now or two months from now, not a lot he can do with regard to the 2023 season or the direction this team has is, is taken to start the season with. Now, I actually think it's probably an ideal time for an owner to be coming in because he can really get to know all the participants, all the people involved, all the decision makers, really without you know, having to jump in when the higher, when the fire is hot and the irons are hot, because right now this team is built. It's not going to change. Like you said, we're not going to pivot off of what we have decided to this point. It makes no sense. And I think a new owner would see that as, Hey, okay, I probably got three or four months here to size everybody and everything up. And I think that's probably what you'll, you'll see happen in Washington. Um, yeah. I mean, I think some people like want Rivera to get those who want changes, why just make the change now? Get get going. It's like, well, it's just there's too many. It's too big. There, there there's too many things. On top of the fact that Rivera isn't just as you said the coach, he's also the the overseer of all football. So it would be too complicated, even if they wanted to do that. Of course, the reason we're also discussing it is they've yet to have a winning record in in three seasons under Rivera, going to his fourth year of a five year contract. New owners tend to want to have their own people. Maybe Rivera becomes one of those people, but until that happens, that's why it's in the air, at least, to, to wonder, could there be a change? But it would be likely if there was one after the season. Um, it's okay. So that said, you know, Josh Harris, right? Maybe he and Rivera start talking and immediately there's a kinship. He trusts what Rivera is saying. He buys what Rivera is selling him in terms of what they've been able to do on the roster, that Sam Howell is somebody that's worthwhile taking a look at all these things. I I guess maybe this is just me being a cynic or I don't know what. I feel like he's got to bring in somebody though because he's he's got he's busy. <laughs> he's got a lot of teams to work at in his other businesses. So he can't be there studying how Ron Rivera is running meetings or 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 or, or what was the logic in some aspects of the personnel. So I kind of assume that somebody will be coming in for to to advise Josh. Now, do you, I know this is pure speculation, but like, I don't know, has there been examples before? Like, is it like hypothetically somebody like you who has done this? I'm not saying you're writing the call, but if you do, let me know. Um, but like someone like someone like yourself or a former coach or, you know, a former president of a team, something like that. Would that be the type of person that we're, we're talking about? It makes total sense. And it's probably something that I would, you know, think he's probably considering for sure. I don't think the structure set up now is probably going to be the structure six months from now or eight months from now, really independent of what happens this season. I, I can't think of a lot of examples of someone that came in at the start of a season just to kind of oversee, but I do remember this, and this is going back a long ways, and I remember Ron Wolf telling me this story, Ben. He took over the Packers at a time when he could do just this and evaluate. I think it was more toward the halfway point of the season he came from, I believe, the Jets and went to Green Bay with an idea that, hey, I've got two months to evaluate here. Now, maybe that's something that, that Josh Harris does. I don't know. I think if, if fans and listeners want to use a gauge, look at how he has the 76ers set up. 
I believe the they have a traditional GM structure there. Um, I can't yep. imagine he'll veer far from that. And I think that position, although it might be a, as an advisor this year, will probably be a more permanent position at season's end, unless this team just goes on to do something great this year and win a Super Bowl or something like that. You might have a case that, hey, let's don't, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But I think by all, for all intent purposes, there's probably going to be some additions and some changes. That seldom happens when you have a new, uh, when a new owner comes, it seldom doesn't come without some of that change. You know, I always think it's so interesting that when a new owner comes in, um, how do they know who to hire in the sense of, okay, sure, Josh Harris has owned teams, but he's not owned an NFL team. And, you know, again, he was a minority partner with the Steelers. He's been around. He's talking to Joe Gibbs these days. But nonetheless, you still have to go into this somewhat blind on your own. So I always find that fascinating for any owner of any in any of these teams. How do you know those initial steps? Because you, you have to trust somebody to then say, yeah, go hire that person or talk to that person. I always think that's such a fascinating dynamic. Fascinating is one word to use. Um, <laughs> what would you use? Yeah. Well, I'll say this. In most cases, they they talk to the people who they're most comfortable comfortable with. And sometimes that leads them right to the league office, right to the people that helped them purchase this team and kind of held their hand through the whole process. So, you know, if a guy like George Young, for example, back in the day was was the football czar in the league office, they would go to him uh, and ask him for a recommendation. It's going to be someone, maybe it's somebody, like you said, Josh was involved at the Steelers. Maybe it's somebody there, like a Kevin Colbert or somebody like that who's who's retired now or, 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 or recently still involved in the NFL. I think there's a lot of ways to go. Um, it would not shock me if, if he brought in somebody like that as his advisor for this season. It makes total sense. And let that person who knows where to start to look for the answers and information that he's going to want by season's end, that makes a lot more sense, that's for sure. All right, so let's say Josh Harris called you up and tasked you with this uh overview consultant role what are you in that space what are you looking for what's like sort of maybe it's not the number one thing to do but give me a starting point where are you starting to look to see what things have been done is it all about looking about what they've done over the last three years is it what the plan is going forward is it the roster the coaches what where do you kind of start with something like that well definitely history is the best indicator of future so you're going to go back and ask some questions that's for sure but i think it's important that that person that whoever lets you, and we're assuming that somebody like that's going to come in. But if that's the case, you want to make sure that that person has a clean slate and no agenda either. You want to make sure that person is gathering information strictly for the owner and not to say set himself up or set herself up. You want a clean agenda to gather the information that's needed. So I think that's always important. Um, so many times when GMs are hired nowadays around the league, I can tell you who's going to get the job by who the consultant is because there's some agenda base, you right. know, that more times than not figures into it. So, you know, we'll see. I don't know what his plan would be, but I think if you could find someone that has been through it before, that has worked with multiple owners before, and I think that's important, um, find somebody that's worked for more than one owner so that they have an idea of all kinds of uh, ways ownership communicates and wants to run a business, I think that would be probably best suited for a position like this. And it would also not hurt if someone had a little prior knowledge or, or association with a guy like Ron. 
um, because I think that helps. You're, you're, you're trying to work together. You're not trying to replace. So I think that would matter as well to me. If I was the owner of a team, I'd want somebody that has a little bit of an association so that it's not a complete strange learning curve for somebody who's going to be there all season, at least uh, to get to know them. And, and I think that helps the process move along. There's a little bit of trust right away with Ron Rivera and whoever the appointee of a Josh Harris would be. And uh, yeah, you know, when you made the point of people having their own agendas and this is not a political statement in any way, but it always comes to mind in these spots when uh, George W. Bush was running for president and they were looking for a vice president and they tasked Dick Cheney with leading the, the, the committee to find one. And his result was, yeah, I think you should pick me. And I'm not yeah. saying that was an agenda. I'm saying that is, that is what happened. And that's kind of what you're, what you're talking about. And sometimes the signs lead it to being that that makes the most sense. I just would be a little skeptical uh, and make sure that the questions get asked that aren't leading the witness, if you know what I'm saying. Sure. So, you know, when you look at Washington, what would be some of those questions that you would specific questions that you would ask um, about whatever it is, how they got to this point or anything about the roster? Uh, the quarterback is always an interesting topic. What, what specific kind of questions come to mind for you well, if you were in that spot? Yeah, I would start, and I wouldn't overthink it. I would start with just what you said. I would start at quarterback. Who and why did we decide uh, Taylor Heineke was the guy? Uh, Fitzpatrick was the guy. Uh, Wince was the guy. Now Sam Howell was the guy. Who, who decided this, and what was the, were these decisions based on? I want to know how that transpired. I mean, if you look at the nuts and bolts of how this team has been built over the last few years, they've kind of rebuilt an offensive line as well. Is it any better now than it was when this group got there? I don't know. It still seems to be in flux to me as well. So yeah. there's there's a lot of ways to attack this, but I think you've got to start with any team building questions because you don't want to make the same mistake over and over and over. And it kind of seems to me like that's what they've done at quarterback is they've kept using the same tools uh, and it hasn't worked out. And hope is never a good plan that we have it right now. Right. And that's what I think is so interesting about the Sam Howell thing. Like we've talked over and over again around here, as you can imagine, about the decision to go to Howell, like a, a second year quarterback with one career start. I wrote a story the other day that since 2010, I can't find another example of a team essentially anointing more or less a player with Howell's resume as the starter the next year without there being an injury, which isn't to say it won't work. It's just to say it is a unique circumstances there's that they've put themselves in and part of me wonders one did they do this because the the journeyman veteran route the last few years has not worked for a variety of reasons or two by not committing money to that position in any real way is that something that maybe would they think appeal to the to the new owner in, in some capacity that they're not tying themselves into something of how doesn't work that they're leaving open but how offers promise so they're going in that direction I, I keep wondering how much that factored into the Howell decision. Yeah, I think it's very unique. And you're right. I can't remember, and I've been in the NFL 35 years. I don't remember anointing a guy off of one game in which if you really break down the game, Ben, the first half, he was off. <laughs> so maybe he played better in the second half of, of the spotlight game that everybody's staking their future on. And again, like you said, it may work out that he's good. I know I couldn't do it. I couldn't, I, I'm not smart enough to base what I saw in one game on the fact that this is our guy for the future. Now, they have obviously seen more of him than any of us. They see him every day in practice, all day. 
So there's a lot of things that equate to, to game time, you know, evaluations that we see in practice, but there is nothing like live bullets, bright lights, playing in a game. And, and in, in, in a sense, I believe the last game of last year was a meaningless game too, right? For Dallas. Uh, it, it, it wasn't completely meaningless. They, they had yeah. some playoff seating in mind, but you know, it wasn't uh, very dynamic. I, I couldn't do it. So I hear what you're saying. I couldn't, I couldn't latch my future to that, but I'll say this, and this is, maybe this is what makes Ron Rivera tick. I don't know. I have felt like he's operated the last four or five years, like he had a 10 year contract. So there's never been any sense of urgency. There's really never been, it's always a long-term plan of, Kumbaya. And some of that is coming off the prior owner. He needed to be like that right. to try to bring everybody together. Um, so I don't know. I think you definitely got to ask the questions. You've got to get down to how we decided this and why we decided it, but not only a quarterback on all kinds of team building aspects. How do we handle the draft? How did we do this? Why, why would we do that? Why would we pay money to this guy and not that? I want to know the processes. I'm a very process oriented guy. That's always been my my, I guess, lane that I choose is I want to know the process and I want to know how we build consensus. And if we can't do those, we're probably going to need to, need to find people that can do it better. So, and I'm not saying that's not the case there. I don't know. Um, I worked, what, three years with Ron in, in uh, San Diego with the Chargers, got to know him fairly well and like Ron a lot. I think he's a good, really good person. I've always felt like the further he got from coaching and in his role there, I don't know how much he has, but it sure seems like he's become more CEO and coach oriented. And I felt like that probably was doing him a disservice as well, because he's a really good defensive coach. You're you're right on the CEO part. I mean, even it got it's gone to another level, it feels like this year with the Eric Bieniemy hire. Not only did Eric Bieniemy get the assistant head coaching job, but at practice, he really has been the one running practice because obviously the offense is learning a whole new system. And he's the one to some degree dictating when they're doing what, the timing, um, all these kinds of things. Um, you mentioned the word, you used the word process. And of course, if we're going to talk about Josh Harris coming in, it's the it's the appropriate word for him because of course the 76 76ers- are- No pun intended, no pun yes, intended. Uh, understood, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a common word. Um, but I was going to ask you about that. Um, the, the Obviously Josh Harris greenlit the process for the Sixers, for those who don't know- it's one thing to rebuild like the Washington Wizards are doing now, but they tore it down to the to even beyond that. They ripped up the studs too. They they took the whole roster down with the purpose of saying, we need as many shots as we can at getting high draft picks. We'll do a bunch of things to do that. And we're going to probably take a hit at the box office. They did, but I think largely it worked out getting Joel Embiid, et cetera, et cetera. What does that say to you about a guy like Josh Harris? If he's willing to do that, like I, I don't know how many owners would be willing to take that kind of uh, financial hit like that, and also a little bit of a um, uh, uh, image hit for right, for the organization. They were it was frowned upon by folks to the point the NBA kind of said after three years, "Hey, no more of this." Uh, Would that say anything to you about how he might look at an NFL team? Well, I would hope he learned from it because I don't know too many GMs who would sign up for that deal either. <laughs> that sounds crazy to me. And, and in the NFL, the rules are different. I th I've always said that if you can't see progress in two years, you probably got the wrong guy at the wheel. And, and, the, and the NBA may be different than that because it's all based on one or two stars and, and the way you acquire them. There are so many ways to build a better team in the NFL these days than ever before that you should be able to show progress in a couple of years without a doubt. So um, I don't know 
what it shows to answer your question, except that hopefully he learned from that and that he does have a little more urgency and a little more plan to win sooner. Hey, let's face it. Uh, Washington football people have been starved for good things for a long time. I don't think it's asking too much for a team to be in the playoff hunt and have expectations year in and year out. And I think every team, every year in the NFL, the way the rules are set up now, is kind of a retweak, if not a rebuild. A third of your roster is going to change every year for the most part. And I think that makes it easier to build a winner nowadays than ever before in the NFL. So this is what's interesting like about the idea of the, again, the quote unquote process. The point was, like I said, to take as many shots as you can at getting high draft picks in a sport where one or two players can completely change the dynamics of an organization. That's not the case in football, except for quarterback. So how do you get a quarterback? Well, there's lots of ways to do it, but the most direct way is not be good, get a top draft pick. And what's interesting about Rivera's time here, the first year, they inexplicably win the division at seven and nine. That dropped them instead of picking based on record, if they had lost the last game, based on record, they would have been like the 10th pick in a year in which Justin Fields went 10th and Mac Jones went 15th. Instead, they pick 19th, miss out on the quarterbacks. The 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 following year, they are picking 11 in a draft that only one quarterback gets picked in the first round. They guess they didn't like Kenny Pickett. They'd already gotten, uh, no, that was uh, that was Fitzpatrick here. Sorry. Yeah, no, in 2022. So they already gotten Wentz, but they clearly had to base that on they weren't going to get a quarterback in the draft that they like. So they missed out on that. And then this year, knowing they're moving on from Wentz, they're picking 16th and the better quarterbacks all way in the top few. So if the quarterback is that important as we all acknowledge it is is there a point where you say okay Caleb Williams is sitting there or Luke May is sitting there or whoever it is whatever year it is we got to get in position to get one of these guys because otherwise we're just going to be stuck in the middle here all the time and that's kind of what the Sixers did is there how do you assess that aspect if you're from the seat you've been in as a GM um with all due respect I think it's crazy talk I think if you have good evaluators and good team builders and people that understand how to identify and acquire talent, there are quarterbacks available every year. you got to be willing to have conviction behind what you're doing and to be able to pull the trigger on the right ones. You just listed four or five uh, years in a row there where I, I can name a quarterback in each one of those that they may have screwed up on or passed on for whatever reason. And again, I'm not here to pick on what they've done, but history shows that they have missed the boat. Let's just say they did have wins. They probably still should have drafted Pickett. You know, I mean, so there's a way around that. There were quarterbacks in this year's draft that they could have drafted, uh, let's just say, a Hendon Hooker in the third round. Right. That a lot of people think he's going to be an NFL starting quarterback down the road. So each year is unique. Each year is different. And I think if you set out with a plan that, hey, we're going to do what we can to find the best option and do that every year, you're going to find the right option. I guess my question would be on the valuations of, I know Ron was famously quoted last year saying, I'm the one who looked at the film on, on uh, Carson Wentz. Well, okay, we're done with that. So now, now what's our next process? What's the next option we have? You know, so he, he didn't mean anything by that other than to probably take the heat off others. But my point is every year there are avenues to fill roles on your team. If you have competent evaluators that have conviction and can figure out ways, which the ways are there to figure you stand to have a pretty good chance of, of filling those roles in a shorter time period than the last four or five years, what it's been with Washington. 
Yeah, no, it's I mean, like I'm beating up on the current, and that's not the point of my discussion. I'm just saying there's a lot of ways to get good in the NFL nowadays, more than ever before. You've got cap casualties. You've got the draft. You've got more people wanting to bail on trades now of, of money they've spent on others. There's just a lot of ways to get good now in the NFL if you know what you're doing. It's a great time to be in charge of managing a team. I would say that. Okay. I mean, yo. especially one that has an owner like the new one coming in who cash isn't really restrictive of the moves you can make. We were lucky in Seattle when Paul Allen came in and took over because cash wasn't a problem either. So we did some things that we couldn't do under prior ownership that made my job as a GM a lot easier, that's for sure. And it gave us more of a fast track to get better because of it. Yeah, I mean, and and to whatever degree, I mean, th- this has been a relatively conservative group in general when it's come to spending money. This offseason, they did resign Deron Payne for a, a pretty big deal, but that's keeping one of your own. Other than that, they were pretty frugal, relatively speaking, in terms of the free agency. And I'm sure some of that had to do with the owner transition. I imagine some of it was probably logical, like, hey, I don't want to spend too much money yeah. And then have the new guys say, "What are we? What are we doing here?" Um, so they and like next year they have a very a huge amount of money available to them because they haven't done um, a, a ton. Sp- speaking of that, um, they have a lot of guys who are coming up as free agents: Montez Sweat, Kendall Fuller, uh, Cam Curl is the one that a lot of people are paying attention to. Antonio Gibson um, and Rivera said flat out, "We're kind of putting everything on hold until the ownership situation gets re- re- resolved." Also, Chase Young. Let me not. Let me not forget him because they obviously declined that fifth year option. I don't know how much you've you've studied Washington those pe- those pieces, but again, from that perch of that consultant or being in the front office, what's your what's your story to to, to Josh Harris about these guys? Do, you know, like how what do you what what do you think that conversation goes like? Because like the season's almost here. If you want to get some of these guys signed, I guess you gotta you don't have to do it before the season, but seems like logically you may want to in some cases well two things one going back i was involved in a similar ownership group when i said paul allen bought the seahawks from ken barry where we're leading up through the draft and through the spring with two different ownership groups obviously the outgoing owner doesn't want to spend a dime so i found myself in in the middle of the ownership groups negotiating who's willing to pay what the new guy coming in was willing to pay the freight happened to be a year where we traded up twice in the first round and got Sean Springs and Walter Jones, and it cost us about $20 million more in signing bonus. But again, Paul Allen had the cash. He was willing to do it. He wanted to do what's right for the team, and it was money well spent. We ended up getting two really good players. In this case, I understand why the brakes were pumped several months ago in the offseason, and they had to be somewhat frugal. I don't think the Josh Harris group was down the road far enough to know that, hey, I can spend this money and know I'm going to get it back in investment. That They weren't that close to having a deal done. So I wouldn't worry about potential free agents at the end of this season. I would think that's another reason why probably a consultant of some kind needs to be brought in so that an independent eye can evaluate these guys. I think that's a giant thing and and a real big advantage if you could bring in an independent kind of veteran person that doesn't have an agenda to say, hey, this is probably a good investment. We ought to think about this or this now doesn't make sense. We're just covering our butts to sign this guy because we drafted him high a couple of years ago. You know, there's a, there's a happy medium to be reached there that I think an independent eye can do. And he really would have all season to, to get to know all the participants and all the people involved in either signing, re-signing, or, or moving on in a different direction. I, I, I kind of thought one reason, like the Chase Young situation, I totally understood why they declined the fifth-year option. You know, he hasn't been 
terribly productive after the rookie year. He's been hurt. You already paid two defensive tackles. You have Montez Sweat you may want to pay instead. I get all that. But I also like in terms of like not trading him, one, you want him to help you this year and Ron possibly is playing for his job. And two, I don't want to be the guy that traded Chase Young and then explained to a new owner, hey, uh, yeah, I just traded away this guy and he became what we what we thought. What, what did you think of sort of that whole dynamic? Yeah, I don't think there's any any risk in trade in in trading. Uh, the fact that they were going to trade Young, I don't think he was going anywhere. I don't think it makes any sense. I understand the frustration of him not being healthy. I get it, and I wouldn't have picked up the fifth year option either. That doesn't mean you won't change your mind and have him beyond this year. You've got tags available. You've got other ways to keep the best players. I'm not into letting good players walk out the door because they miss four or five games here or a season here. A lot of times that's cyclical and injuries happen. That's part of the game. So I couldn't see that happening. I wouldn't want to even consider trading one of your best players. Now it's up to us as a coaching staff to put him in a position where he can be our best player, where he can make the 10 or 12 sacks that we all thought he was going to make. So that's the challenge this year is to get the most out of him and then let somebody figure out what the value is at the end of the year. He's probably going to be more valuable if he plays good than to the Washington team than any other team because they're going to know the most about him. And so I think that will be critical uh, is somebody needs to not only evaluate these players, but value them. And that's completely different. They got to, they got to bring those two thoughts together in evaluating and valuing. Um, you have another couple seconds. Cause I, I keep coming up with other questions in my head because sure. you're, you know, you know so much. Um, okay. You've done this job before you've, you've worked with different owners, as you said, Needless to say, they've had a really, uh, they've had not the best owner the last 20 years, understatement of the year. <laughs> what do you, what, what do you think it's going to do? Whether, whether the next GM is essentially the Ron Rivera, Martin Mayhew think, think tank, or they bring in somebody else. What is it, what is it going to mean for a new GM to not have the Dan Snyder albatross around them in terms of dealing with agents, having the view of the rest of the league of free agents? What do you think that's going to do ultimately for this group going forward? I think it's good on all fronts. Obviously, it's good because of where they were. But the thing is, whoever the new GM is, and maybe it's the same same people. I'm not you know, sure. running them out the door at all. I'm just saying the past at this point doesn't matter one bit. Not in a disrespectful way, but it doesn't matter. If we get a chance to start with a new owner going forward with a whole new outlook on life, we're not going to let the past drag us down. So that can't be an issue. It's like when I took over the Saints in 2000, everybody kept referring to, wow, we were so bad last year. We wore bags over our heads five years ago. I wasn't being disrespectful, but I really don't care. It doesn't matter. It's not going to affect the Washington football team going forward at all that Dan Snyder owed him the last 20 years. It's not. As long as the new owner has control of, of everything he needs to, to allow his people to run the team, it won't matter. So that's an exciting time to be in charge. And it's exciting time for the fans, I think, to see if this franchise can't go back to being one of the pillars in the NFL like it should be. I, I've studied a lot of NFL teams for a long time. And I'm telling you, the Washington football team is giant in the NFL circles. And the league is better when they are highly thought of and being successful. So I, I think it's I think it'd be a great job for whoever's there. If it's the people that are there, great. If it's somebody new, great. I think it would be a really good spot to turn the, uh, the franchise that's, I think, started to turn a little bit already in from cloak and dagger to more transparent. Um, I think that is a process that does take some time. 
But I think they've got to show it on the football field this year that we're better and that we're playoff worthy every year. And I think it's a good time to be coming into a, any of the jobs or any of the responsibilities that the new owner would allow people to have. Yeah, I mean, the, the talent level is definitely up. I mean, there's some concerns. We, we're, you know, quarterback is an unknown. You mentioned the offensive line before. I definitely have questions. But, like, you know, they have, you know, the defensive line, uh, the receiver core, the defensive backfield, I think, is a lot better than than it was when they uh, got here. Um, so there's some of that. But, yeah, it's also a team that hasn't been able to get above 500. And, you know, I think if I look, if I'm Josh Harris, I'm looking at the overall situation. I think the most attractive part of what he's going to take over is the salary cap space for next year. I mean, cap space is not equal winning, but it gives you the chance to do kind of what you want. And right now, looking at over the cap, they've got Washington at 83.1 million available, which is the fifth most in the league. To me, that is pretty nice. Like, even if Rivera says to me, hey, we'd like to extend Montez Sweat or Cam Curl, I'm not saying I wouldn't. I am kind of thinking, ah, for me as a new owner, I don't have ties to any of this. Uh, let, can we wait and see yeah. what happens? And I'll take the hit if they, don't, if they leave, but I'd rather see what happens. It only makes sense to make deals where you don't think you're going to have a better option. So you want to sit back and explore your options. That's what really team building at the NFL level is all about. It's all about options. It makes sense to sign or extend a player if you don't think the next guy in line is going to be as good or if there's not going to be anybody available. That's a whole process that during this season will play out. They have scouting staffs that do this 24-7 that sort out, hey, what is, what's going to be there in free agency now? And believe me, those wheels are already turning. What are those players? How do our guys fit in with guys that are going to be free? And that's how you decide, does this make sense to extend our guy or wait and try to sign somebody after the season? So all good problems to have when you have $80 million in cap, really, uh, cap space, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, last thing for, for you. So just in terms of this season, we're kind of saying don't expect any changes here with the coaching staff. Um, I don't know if the front office might be a separate issue, but whatever. Don't expect any changes with the football side per se. Okay, so that said, this is the team that they have. What do you think? What what, what do you see them? As, you see them as a team that's going to be capable of moving o- above 500? Or are we looking at sort of the same team that's sort of up and down and and kind of stuck in the middle. Well, I don't see that they've done a ton to change the complexion of where they were a year ago. Yeah, they can play better. We can coach them a little better. Hard part for them is they're in a division that has some heavyweights, right? Obviously, Philly's really good. Dallas is pretty good. Um, These teams aren't going to go away overnight, and so they're going to have to prove their worth now with a quarterback that's played one game. That obviously is the focal point for most analysts to look at is what are we going to do at quarterback? I know they have Jacoby Brissett. I get it. Um, That one's played already too. So we'll see how that shakes out. Um, I think it's a, it's, it's a wait and see. And that's hard because people want to get going with the new in Washington, but it's a wait and see. This is a team that they built. It's a team that they've kind of wanted to to structure this way with coaches now with Eric Bannemi and others that, that on offense that are new, let's just see what shakes out. Um, I think there's plenty of time to sort it all out. Uh, again, as long as we can do it agenda free, I think they'll make the right decisions and, and we'll see. I think the first thing that has to happen is Josh Harris actually has to get ownership of the team. And hopefully that happens. That's not a clean process as people can go back mm, about 25 years ago. Now 
when Dan Snyder got the team himself, if you remember right, he was first tied into the Milstein group who got turned down by the NFL about this time of the year. So these crazy things do happen. So we, we got to can't get the cart ahead of the horse. Uh, no doubt about that, but please, oh, uh, yo, let's not speak, let's not speak the negative into existence. I can't, <laughs> I can't, I can't we, we, we all, we all need to end this for our own uh, lives. Um, but I was going to say, you know, you mentioned Brissett. I didn't mention him earlier, but you know, you, you, you noted your skepticism for how, or you wouldn't feel comfortable with a player, not so much maybe how specific, but a player with his thin resume. I definitely wonder when Ron Rivera and Eric Bannaby get deep in a camp, do they look at the situation and think, all right, we're either rolling the dice that this quarterback is going to be able to go right off the bat. And Washington has been a slow starter in all three years of under Rivera. Or do they say, oh man, we got to Jacoby percent can what we know he can do all the things we can do. We just limited upside. I so wonder if they get to a point where they're like, oh, I know we've been talking about how, but I don't know if we can do this. I think it's their hope that Sam Howe's the guy. And that's what they have their fingers crossed that happens. I think at some point, if they're not winning games, they're going to have to pivot to a guy who has more experience, a veteran guy, to kind of save us all and and win games. That's the bottom line, is you can talk about developing a quarterback all you want, but this is, what, year four or five? we got to win games, and we got to win enough to get us into the next level of play. We can't be mired in mediocrity, and if Sam Howell can get us there, great. I'm all for it. I, I don't know that I could put all my eggs in one basket and – you can say, well, Brissett's, you know, an option. That's okay. Uh, I think at some point they probably go to him. Um, when, I don't know. I think that depends on the successes or not that they have early in the season. Uh, Randy, so appreciate the time and the insight. You can hear Randy uh, pretty much every week on the uh, Athletics Football Podcast. You're there with Mike Sando. Uh, any other things? You you have so many things to plug. You want to plug uh, – People in the Seattle era buying season tickets for the uh, for your XFL team next year? <laughs> the Sea Dragons? No, I'm not there yet. I'm hoping to get a little fishing in before we have to start selling any tickets. That's for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, oh, it's also at Randy Mueller underscore on Twitter. Uh, Randy, really appreciate it. Thanks so much for the insight. We'll uh, We'll see what happens. Thank you very much. All right. Big thanks to Al Galdi and Randy Mueller for their time. Thanks to everyone here for checking out the podcast. Almost to the finish line, folks. At least we think so. Uh, so hang in there. A couple more days to go. And then a new era is is going to be here for the Washington Commanders. What a time. Who'd, who'd have thunk it? Um, that's it for now. Ben Standick signing off. Until next time. See ya. <laughs>